0: Welcome to another episode of the Haskin Cast Podcast. I am your host, Scott Haskin, here with another fantastic guest. And as you probably saw by the title of the show, this is going to be a two-part episode. But it's also a, uh, a huge diversion from the way that I normally do the show. April is a, is a wonderful young lady, fantastic comedian, and uh, she's a singer. She plays guitar, which we didn't even get into. Amazing that we talked for two hours and we didn't even get into that stuff. But the conversation took a very interesting turn into a direction that I don't normally go in in the show. Uh, normally, I don't talk a lot about politics or social issues or things like that because they're conversations that most people uh, can't have and they're too opinionated. And everything is just so heated right now that I really try and use the show as uh, you know an outlet for people who want a break from all of that. But uh, in this case, we got into it. We talked about a lot of stuff and. I could have edited out a lot of that or I could have edited the show down quite a bit. But the fact of the matter is, I think that April had a lot of great things to say. I think we had a lot of great uh, dialogue here and I think it's something that's worth listening to. So I chose to leave it all in the show, take the show in a little bit of a different direction. And um, hopefully it's something that uh, you can enjoy or learn from or be inspired by. Um, you know, everyone has their own opinion, everyone has their own approach. We all feel differently about different things that are going on in the world today, uh between COVID, between politics, between all the, the just the the protests and the tension and everything that's happening right now. And and just, you know, feeling stuck inside is not helping with all that because we feel trapped and so, you know, you get uh you get tense, you get pent up and then that needs to be let out somehow. And so you can't go to the bar, you can't go to the movies. Well, I guess some places now you can, um, but there's so many things that you can't do, which makes us feel even more, uh, helpless. And so it's like, you know, you take all that and you mix it together and you just get anger and frustration and the need to vent and the need to force opinions and that sort of thing. So, um, I think that there's a lot of, uh, a lot of good in this talk and hopefully it will help somebody or make them feel better or make them smile or uh, hopefully find a way to ease some of that tension. So anyway, that's why this episode is the way it is. But we do get to talk about comedy and uh, learn some very interesting things about that because I've not had a comedian on the show before. I know a couple of comedians and uh, it's a very different life because, you know, they have to kind of focus on what's going on in the world because that always enters the picture for what they're going to talk about whether it is personal issues or political issues or differences or whatever, uh, a lot of comedians use that in their act. So uh, it's, it's very important for them to keep up with what's going on. Whereas for me, I do a podcast, I create music, I write books, and I really don't need to know as much what's happening in the world. I don't need to soak up every bit of hatred and anger that's uh, you know being forced on us in, in every direction. So for me, it's less important and uh, I can just be an artist, whereas for her to be an artist, it is important. So it's a really interesting contrast between the different things that we do. Anyway, that's why this is a two-part episode, and uh, it was it was a great conversation, so I do hope that you enjoy it. And before we uh, start that conversation, uh, a couple things going on. Very sadly, in, in Las Vegas, shows have uh, started permanently closing La Rev over at the Wynn Hotel, which I have some very fantastic friends that were musicians in that show. Uh, That show has now closed permanently. And, you know, as sucky as it is, I get it. That has got to be an expensive show because it is a water-based show. And it's got to cost a lot to maintain the water, to maintain the sprinkler systems and all the you know the the things that they do with the show that uh, are mechanical that have to be maintained on top of the fact that because it's a water show you're also looking at a lot more laundry a lot more costumes that need to be repaired so the expense of the show has to be much higher and um it sucks as it does uh, I I kind of understand it I I'm very sad it was a beautiful show I saw it a couple times and and absolutely loved it and uh, I saw it in two completely different versions of the show because they had uh, revamped the show shortly after the first time I saw it. And then uh, I got to see it uh, sometime after the change. But you know, it sucks because I'm I'm watching so many artists be uh, displaced. And here in Vegas, from what I understand, we don't have the same relief that uh, they do in some of the other states, which is really weird because we have so many artists here. But maybe that's why, because it's such a huge concentration that the cost would be uh, too high. I don't know. Like I said, I really don't get into that side of things, but I am very sad to see um, that happen. I'm very sad for my friends. And uh, it's tough. So, you know, there are uh, artistic things like the Actors Fund that also uh, my understanding is that that does help with musicians as well. So check into those things and see how you can help some of these wonderful folks. Hopefully, you know, they're going to find a way to reopen some of these shows the way that they have the movie theaters. I don't know exactly how it works, but, um, you know, I know that that has begun. And hopefully, you know, there will be a cost effective ways for the theaters and the, the companies like Cirque du Soleil. The last I heard with them is that they have filed for bankruptcy, but the original owner might be trying to buy them back. I don't know. It's a big drama. And uh, but there's a lot of Cirque du Soleil shows here and, and it's not just the musicians and the performers, it's all the behind the scenes people, you know, the the wardrobe, the costume designers, the riggers, the you know, the people that uh keep everything maintained, all the audio people. Um There's just so much to it. You know, the people that are the ushers, the people that work the concessions, so many people are involved with each and every one of these shows that when one of them closes, it's a pretty huge, uh, huge deal. And uh, I don't know what it's like in the casinos right now. I know that a lot of them are operating at a very minimal capacity. Um, I've heard that MGM is going to lay off a bunch of people. So everything is kind of a mess right now. So, you know, be kind to people. Everybody's going through their own thing. And not a lot of people are going to talk about it, but it's really important to, you know, be extra tender right now, extra caring, empathetic, supportive. Uh, You know, if you can support financially, that's great. But even just, you know, being available for people, because with all of this comes the emotional side of things that um, is not going to be easy for a lot of people as well. On top of COVID, then there's all the repercussions of COVID and it's uh it's crazy and then i heard that here in nevada uh in in uh august 10 almost ten thousand people were being evicted for non-payment and it's like okay well we're still in this lockdown we still have a lot of people that are out of work but the grace period for it is over but it keeps going on so you know i don't know what's going to happen but we got to take care of each other because nothing else seems to be doing it for us so please be kind be thoughtful be considerate and help if you can't. It's it's how we get through this, I think. And that is, uh, that's about it. So uh, this being a two-part episode, of course, it'll be a couple weeks before I air the second part. And uh, I've got a special episode coming up for you guys next Wednesday. In the meantime, I will ask once again as well, once again, I'm going to do it every week. uh, Please keep those ratings coming in. You know, whether it's five stars, one stars, two stars, four stars, more five stars, more five stars, more five stars. stars. Uh, Just be honest. If you like the show, give it a great rating. If you don't like the show, give it an honest rating. Um, You know, if you have some feedback, feel free to write me at scott at scotthaskin.com. Working on bringing you some more guests. Again, a couple of guests that I have have been pushed back as releases continue to be pushed back during this. Although I do find it interesting because, you know, Deep Purple released their newest studio album last month in the middle of all of this. And it went to number one. And I don't even know how many countries, uh, quite a number of them. And within the top 10 in, you know, it seems like a good majority of the world. So obviously, you know, not being able to tour, but releasing is still a very successful thing. So hopefully, you know, we need content. And, you know, if you guys listen to the show that I did a couple of weeks ago with Summer Helene, we're running out of stuff that's already been shot, that's new. So it's, bring back, like I saw that sister, sister, that old 80s sitcom is now on Netflix. So it's like, bring that stuff back so we can watch it again or find a way to make some new stuff, which there's so many restrictions on. So get your art out there. We need it. We want new stuff. Don't be afraid. Like this is the time to, um, to really not, I don't want to say take advantage of the situation because that sounds kind of lame, but, but that's really it. You know, you have an opportunity here as an artist to, uh, to get seen because there's so uh, little new stuff coming out that you've got a chance to shine. So my advice to everyone who's thinking about releasing something, just do it, you know, just get it out there. Very important. And uh, so that's about it. Um, hopefully these uh, these guests that I have lined up will be able to come on the show soon. In the meantime, please also keep your album review suggestions coming in. They're definitely very interesting. And I'd, I'd love to hear more about what you would like me to review for albums. And, um, I don't know, maybe I'll do a TV show or something. that was really fun last year when I did stranger things. And of course, stranger things isn't going to be coming back for a while because they did not finish shooting it. So, uh, they can't really air something they haven't finished shooting. And, um, so I won't be doing that one anytime soon, but maybe there's something else that'll be fun. I've actually, uh, just gone through Cobra Kai that it just, uh, converted over to Netflix. And man, I gotta say the writing on that show is fantastic. The intensity, I don't watch a lot of television or movies or anything. I usually just have them on for sound while I'm doing other things. But I actually really engaged with this show. I think it's done so well. And uh, the perspectives are interesting. The intensity is really good. Like, that's the kind of stuff I like. If, If every show has stakes, like somebody could disappear from the show or something really major could happen. I really like that. If it's just, oh, you know, this episode happened and it's really a bridge for these four other episodes that you're not going to see for a couple months. And, you know, each show doesn't really matter. Then it's kind of hard to watch. But shows like this, like Wentworth on Netflix is really good. They're really engaging. And uh, I really dig that um, again. I, and I know I've talked about this, but that's why I didn't like Breaking Bad the first time, because it's like with such a small cast with you you kind of know everyone's going to make it to the end and there aren't really that many stakes in the individual shows, shenanigans or situation, but the overall has it. Uh, but shows like Wentworth or Oz or The Shield, um, man, you just never knew what was going to happen from show to show. And and that I really like. Um, Other than that, I want to tell you guys about one other cool thing that I have recently discovered. Thanks to uh, my friends, John and Nate over at the Deep Purple podcast, who just had me back for another episode of their show. It was episode 72, I think, where I was a contestant on the Deep Purple game show which was a lot of fun. I had a great time hanging out with them as I always do. And uh thanks guys for having me on. And we'll have to get you guys back on this show or I'll come back on your show or something again, but it'll be fun. But anyway, uh the previous week's guest ho- or guest uh was um Simple Man from a podcast called Skinnerd Reconsidered. And I've never really paid much attention to Leonard Skinner to be honest. Um you know, they got Sweet Home Alabama. Oh god, I've heard that. And, uh, I just, I just, I don't know. I just never really gave him a chance. So he does a podcast called Skinnered Reconsidered and every podcast is a uh, review of a different song and he goes through all of them. Uh, So it's uh, really interesting to hear a little bit of the backstory as well as kind of a breakdown of the song and get his opinion on it and hear songs that honestly I've just never heard or never given a chance. So that's a pretty cool show. If you want to give him a chance or if you like the band already, go ahead and check that out on any of your major podcast apps. I know it's on Apple Podcast and Podbean and uh, iTunes. i not sure about Stitcher, um, but I'm sure that there's plenty of other places you can check it out. Skinnered Reconsidered and uh, Reconsidered is spelled with Y's as well to go along with the Leonard Skinnered theme. Uh, but it's a very cool show. I really like uh, how Simple Man does it. He, uh, he has a great way of doing the show. It's really hilarious, but it's also very interesting. So uh, if you're interested, give that a shot, as well as, of course, the Deep Purple podcast. And uh, last thing I want to talk about is I was very excited to work for the first time with my friend and former podcast guest, Chandra Jefferson. We did a song uh, called Heartache in the Break Room, which was a challenge issued by Jenna Fisher and Angela Kinsey at the Office Ladies podcast. You know, you drop a challenge saying, hey, write us a song. How am I not going to write you a song? I'm a songwriter. Uh, you know, how why would I not do that? So we did a, a song and I thought it was a lot of fun. I had a great time working with Chandra. Um, she worked on very short notice and it gave a brilliant performance. And um, hopefully, as the office ladies promised, they were going to play all the songs on the show. I don't know how many submissions they actually got, but I would imagine it was probably a lot more than they thought they would get. It was kind of an off the cuff thing too. I don't really think they planned it. It just was something that came up in the conversation. So it was kind of neat and uh, we'll see how long that goes. And if they air it, then maybe I'll uh, air it on the show or you know, maybe we'll do a, an updated version or something of it where we have a little more time because we were kind of pressed for time. And um, yeah, we'll see what happens, but hopefully they'll play it. So listen to also the Office Ladies podcast. If you're a fan of The Office or you just want to hear two people that are really passionate about a, a very high profile show that they were on. Um, they're just fun to listen to. I think even if you don't know the show, it's probably somewhat enjoyable to just listen to them talk, hear how passionate they were, hear the stories about what it was like when they were filming. And as they do give a lot of backstory, they have different people from the show on, um, sometimes the writers, sometimes the, you know, the directors or the actors. It's, uh, it's a really good show. So check that one out as well. And now that I've babbled on for almost 15 minutes, it's time to get to the interview and part one of my interview with comedian April Walterscheid. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I am very excited to bring my next guest onto the show. This is the first comedian I've had on, and not only a comedian, but a vegan comedian. And we're going to find out what that's all about. Let's talk to April Walterscheid. April, how are you today?
1: I'm good. How
0: are you? I'm great, thank you. You sound very reverby today.
1: Oh, do I?
0: You do. I don't know if it's it's because you're in the process of moving or not, but it's very echoey. It sounds kind of cool and ethereal, like you're uh, you're broadcasting from space.
1: Um, I could change rooms here. Oh no, this
0: is fine. I like it. I think it adds a nice little touch.
1: Okay. <laughs> do You think it's not going to be a problem?
0: Not at all. Not at all. So what is happening in the world of comedy these days? It's uh, everything's kind of shut down. Are you guys finding some paths to get through?
1: Um, Yeah, we're all on Zoom. And we're also doing like drive up comedy uh, where you drive up to like a park or parking lot and you just watch people perform outside.
0: Really? How, uh, How well can they hear? Is it broadcast through like a speaker system or something?
1: Yeah, yeah. Somebody brings like a small speaker, the size of a small cooler, and yeah, looks it up. I don't know where the where the plug is, but yeah.
0: <laughs> well, I'm just glad there is one. Otherwise, that would make the speaker irrelevant. Uh, I I find it fascinating. Uh, anybody who can do comedy, and even more fascinating, anybody who can do it well, because it really takes a lot of components. I think to be a, a good comedian. There's the material, there's the way you word the material, there's the way that you deliver it, and then there's kind of reading your audience. Is it, is it tough to keep all those components together and, and flowing when you're on stage?
1: Uh, with, practice, with practice, it's not hard. Um, I try to say something that's like, start out by saying something that's like going on in the room or like in my life at first. So it feels current and it kind of like brings people and if you talk about somebody that somebody in the audience who's like a sore thumb, they stick out like a sore thumb or something about like what's going on in the environment that that kind of brings people in and then i've probably had some sets where like maybe it wasn't entirely relatable to the audience just because of their age or something but that doesn't happen a lot it's it's a you just you just don't even really think about it. You're just so used to performing eventually that you just do what you can.
0: I, I can relate to that. I think it's the same with songwriting. It's it's not like I, I sit down and say, OK, here's my formula or here's how I'm going to attack this. It just kind of just kind of comes about like you get an idea and you know where to go with it and, and how to move. A lot of people have told me that I should be a stand up comedian. And aside from them being very sweet, they're also wrong. I I don't think I would be a good comedian at all because I I'm more like reactionary funny, but you write skits and you write, uh, you know, your dialogues and, and your your uh, shows. Is it kind of hard to find a way to keep adding material to like say you're doing a 40 minute set? Is it tough sometimes to fill that much time with a, with an ongoing dialogue?
1: Um, I would say the first time I did it, I was scared. Like the first time I did 45 minutes, I was scared, Mm -hmm. but it goes by really quick. So I would say it's kind of tough to answer. Um, I would say the first time you do any amount of minutes, like whether it's five, 10, 15, 15 and 20 used to scare me. And I mean, for me, a lot of people seem to like when I have material, but then also just go off on like random tangents in between. So I just do that to make it flow. And then, um, I mean, I talk to myself a lot when I'm alone, so it's good in your head. It's good not to keep it all in there and you eventually explode, you know?
0: Well, plus just for your vocal cords to keep them warm, especially now when we're so isolated, um, I find that I talk very little. And as I've said on the show many times, I've done a lot of damage to my voice because I'm not using it. So it's great that you are keeping those muscles working. Um, I would think a five minute set would be really tough because you're kind of really like just getting into your zone and then it's over.
1: Yeah, I think the first time you you stand up, it feels like a long time, and sometimes even now, like five minutes, like someone will go up before me and do five minutes at like an open mic, and I'll be like, "They're still up." <laughs> five minutes goes, by, three like five minutes goes by really quick, and but once in a while, it seems long. The person before, like the three people who are up before you, are just like, "Oh my gosh, are they done yet?" You know, like, "Is this what is this ten minutes?" Like, it just seems like longer. But yeah, it goes by when you're up there. And I would say actually a really fun set. I might have, there might be people who disagree, who are comedians, but the, the fun set. So actually for an open mic, I love doing three minutes. I don't know why, because I, it makes me talk faster. And I think I'm more entertaining that way. Doesn't give me time to really think. I plan out what I'm going to do, but in the moment, like maybe I, I have an outline of what I'm going to do, but in the moment, it's just like, I talk really fast. And more people laugh. And I love the challenge of three minutes. It's just, I don't know what it is. Um, I think you just get like, you get less wordy real quick, you know? Yeah.
0: Yeah. You got to find a way to deliver the punchline and the lead up to it. Like you got to get in there and do it.
1: You don't have to go fast. You know, you could do two really slow jokes, but for me, I just love the energy of like, I, I feel like I don't have a lot of energy sometimes and when people see me perform, see me perform, they're like, no, you have energy. I'm like, I do. I I just feel like I don't, Mm. but yeah, the three minutes for me, gives me more energy and I just love it. Um, I think I get more laughs in three minutes too.
0: Maybe there's a a little bit of an adrenaline thing to it because you know, it's going to be over and you want to enjoy it as much as possible. So you just kind of find that gear and kick into it real fast.
1: Yeah. And like, especially one time, my my first three minute set was in Tucson at a place called Laughs at one of their open mics. And my aunt lives in Tucson. I'm from Phoenix. I'm in Los Angeles right now, but I'm from like Mesa, Arizona, in the Phoenix area. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I went down to Tucson. And my aunt was there. She's a former nun, and I just did like a bunch of nun jokes at the top. <laughs> pointed her out in the audience. It's always fun, like when your family members are there, just point them out. And yeah, it was just a fun three minutes, and that was when I was like, "Oh, I love three minutes."
0: That's awesome. I I love that uh, that you would feel comfortable making nun making uh, nun jokes in front of her. Is it is it kind of a a risky thing for a comedian to do something like that, or did you know that she was going to be okay with it ahead of time?
1: I knew she'd be okay with it. They weren't terrible. It was just a bunch of sister act jokes.
0: Oh, okay, yeah.
1: I mean, a one and then some other ones, not all sister act jokes, (laughs) right? Yeah. (laughs) No, I mean, she was a nun and like, I think her twenties, thirties. And, um, it was so long ago. And I think we went to dinner right before. So I I probably told her I was going to do some nun jokes and she was excited. She's also just like a jokester. And she recently, she had a stroke a few years ago. So she's on like, uh, she's my great aunt so she's like I want to say 70s maybe or 80s or something and everyone in my family lives to be literally 100, 111 so I don't know if she's ever going to die but wow. she yeah, she's definitely a fun person and she does take CBD and THC for like any pain symptoms or whatever she has and she just like it's so funny to hear her talk about it. She's she's just like fun, is what I'm trying to say. So
0: Gotcha. Well, that's cool. That's definitely cool. Um, but it it certainly raises a question for me. Like, do you feel as a comedian that you kind of have to be a little bit fearless?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, some might even say borderline hate yourself to be a comedian. So <laughs> Really? Um, yeah. Uh, I, I think a lot of this For me, like, if I kind of feel self-deprecating, that just makes me more, like, down to earth as a comedian. And, I mean, I want to be, like, perfectly happy all the time, but I don't think that really helps you be real and write stuff that's – like, you could write something fantastical, but I like to put it, like, down to earth starting out. I'm not of That makes sense. Oh, I hope it makes sense. Yeah, it, it
0: does. Um, but are you able to separate yourself from that? Like if you if you do a lot of stuff on, let's say, you know, like my life is really sad. I haven't done this in a while, or I, I haven't gotten to do that. Are you able to like come out of that and separate that so that you don't internalize it off
1: stage? Sometimes, sometimes it's hard. Um, sometimes it's like the way you eat. I don't know if I even answered the question right before this one. Sorry. You did, yeah, no, you did. Yeah. Okay, okay, good. Um. Yeah, I have to definitely eat healthy. Um, and I mean, if I I've noticed about myself, if I have too much sugar, that takes me, that makes me internalize things a little more in a negative way. So I have to watch like how much sugar I eat. <laughs> I'm not even diabetic. I just have to watch that. And that's probably a tip for anyone who's an artist out there. If you're feeling down. Just look at how much sugar you're taking in, um, and cut it in half and then see how you feel.
0: That's a great observation. I hadn't considered that. I have recently kind of come to the conclusion that I just have too much sugar in general because sugary things are quick and easy to eat typically. And, you know, I work around the clock and I don't want to take an hour to make a nice dinner. I just like, what's quick? What can I do? And it turns out that most of the quick and easy foods are very sugary. So that's a great point.
1: Yeah. And there's the high and the crash. So mm-hmm. that if you're ever feeling down, it's probably the high and the crash, um, too, that's contributing to it. Um, personally, I might even start, I'm not, again, not diabetic, but I might start taking like blood sugar, herbal remedy or herbal pills that like sprouts or whole foods. I might buy some of those and just see if that helps um, so that I can eat more sugar.
0: (laughs) (laughs) There you go. We'll just make the room for it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Make some room for that sugar. Let me get some pills to make it. (laughs) Uh, to level out everything I eat, so I don't feel these ups and downs. Did
0: what was that? Was it? I think in the Hunger Games where they took pills to make themselves throw up, so that they could gorge more and make sure that they tasted everything.
1: Just is it like bulimia, but with pills? I didn't see that movie.
0: Yeah, I kind of. It was the you know the rich people versus people who like have have not just been poor, but they've been beaten down by the rich people. And uh, the, so they, ha- the rich people have these lavish dinners with all kinds of desserts. I mean, more than the eye can see. And their goal is to eat everything possible. So they'll eat until they're stuffed. Then they'll take this pill and throw it up. And then kind of like Epicac, I guess. And then uh, they'll go gorge on more until they've tasted everything. And it, that just sounds like a horrible way to live.
1: Yeah, it sounds like the way you said they have fancy desserts. It sounds like the scene in Hook where they are eating invisible food and they're like just imagine it and then all (laughs) the desserts appear that's the only way i can relate to that scene is just suddenly like robin williams and the kids are just having a food fight and all that stuff looks amazing so is that what it looks like if i watch the movie
0: kind of yeah yeah now i want to watch that again that was such a good movie and you can't go wrong with robin williams no you really can't. He was, he was interesting. I saw him on a show called Real Time with Bill Maher, which was the follow-up show to Politically Incorrect. Good
1: show, good show. It is.
0: and uh, But he, his whole thing was he can't not be comedic. I've seen him have serious conversations in interviews, but he was just so much on all the time that he, he couldn't sit still. He had to, to interject a joke everywhere, and I think he just didn't really know how to turn it off.
1: Yeah, it's possible. Um, I mean, during like if I go on a date or hang out with a guy or have, you know, an interview, I feel I definitely feel fidgety. And he may like I have anxiety when I am talking to people. Um, So, I mean, today I'm pretty good, but usually I'm just like just I cannot stop. Fidgeting or something. So I bet it's that. I bet it's like nervousness. And also, I mean, a lot of times I hear something and I want to blurt out something and I have to kind of stop sometimes.
0: I can see that. I get that way too. I'm, I'm not good around um, people. And uh, I think I'm okay doing the show because there's no one in front of me.
1: <laughs> yeah. You know? uh,
0: and I can edit out anything I say that's stupid, even though I typically leave it in. <laughs> It just makes the show more interesting. Um, But yeah, I I could certainly understand that. And I find it interesting, though, I know so many people that pick professions or are drawn to professions that really contrast the things that they're uncomfortable with. Like you're uncomfortable around around people, but yet your job is to go and talk to people and make them laugh. Um, I have a friend who's a pilot that has a fear of flying. Hmm. I think that's fascinating.
1: I mean, I think if I was a a lion tamer, I have a fear of lions. You know, I'm sure all lion tamers have a fear of lions.
0: I would hope so. Because it's when you when you lose that fear that they'll eat you.
1: Oh, oh, really? Is that what? So if your friend ever doesn't have a fear of flying, he will crash.
0: Well, the plane's not likely to attack her, whereas a lion would. I think I think the lion might sense the fear a little bit. And I think they would sense that cockiness or confidence if you didn't fear them anymore. If you thought, I got this. I don't need to be on guard, then they're gonna find that moment and just go for it. but I could be wrong. I think the plane is less likely to do that
1: I mean i I've always been told if you're not afraid of the animal, they're they'll leave you alone. like if you're not afraid of them and you act tough, mm-hmm. they'll leave you alone or you ignore them right That's work. So I can't believe the opposite would be true. you could be
0: right. You could. I I have a a huge fear of sharks from seeing Jaws at the drive-in when I was like five years old. Who doesn't? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I I wouldn't, I refused to take a bath because I was certain that the shark could come up that tiny drain, you know, a 25-foot shark could somehow make that happen. Uh, (laughs) But do do you think that there's like an expectation, though, for a comedian to be goofy all the time, to be, you know, you're at a party, people want you to make them laugh, um, you post a picture, people expect it's going to be a funny picture and not a serious one. Do you think there's kind of a general pressure for a comedian?
1: Yeah, uh, definitely. There's a, there's pressure for that. And there's also pressure like, hey, could you not be funny today? Because this is like a funeral, you know, can you not? But <laughs> um, uh, uh, could you actually have emotions that are, could you have real emotions just this once and not try to hide behind a joke? And I mean, okay, my problem is, like, not even a problem. It's just, like, in situations that are serious, I will say something that's not serious. and But yet I'm feeling all the seriousness of the situation. Mm -hmm. And I'll say something that actually means a lot to me, but it comes out funny. And everyone thinks that, like, what I'm saying is funny. And even, like, on Facebook or social media, I could be, like, posting something serious, and I'll get comments that are, like, you know, people laughing. Like something serious, like okay, i I'm um going through a hard time. I need help, and somebody just laughs in the comments, like they don't think I'm being serious. So there's that problem, yeah, because it's only a two d interaction online. It's not like they can see you right. Um, so and, that's a problem,
0: and there's no inflection in text, you know, but but I would say just on the chance that you are being serious, like just reach out and make sure you're okay.
1: Yeah, I I definitely will see people going through a hard time on Facebook and reach out. And sometimes they react like, it's weird when you're going through a hard time and someone reaches out to help you, but also you don't want them helping you. Sometimes you do. Sometimes you're just like, ugh, that's not the kind of help I wanted. You know, it's so weird. Uh, yeah, I've had people reach out if I was going through a hard time and they're just not the people I wanted to respond to. It's the weirdest thing. It's weird when you want help, but then someone helps and you're like, ugh. I think
0: that's one of the strangest things in our society these days is that, and and I think, I don't want to blame social media for it because I think it's our own sort of personal isolation from each other and our fear of being a real person yet our desire to be a real person at the same time Um, I can definitely identify with what you're saying, but at the same point, isn't it nice that those people, even though you didn't want them to be the ones to respond, it's kind of nice to know that they cared enough to do it.
1: It is. There's some people that needed my help and they're not here today. So yeah, it's really nice. Um, Yeah. I mean, it's not like they reached out and then because I didn't, because I didn't respond in the way they wanted that they are not here. They disappeared a month or two later Mm -hmm. but yeah it is nice um if i see anybody going through like the first few stages of something strange i definitely reach out that's good because i'm like this could get worse uh but there's been a few things where like i've had friends who gave no signs of anything
0: yeah, same here.
1: They're not here. There's like two that there's two that gave no signs really. And yeah, they're not here. And so, and one of them reached out to me a month before he wasn't here anymore. And I'm like, "Oh my god, like you start blaming yourself a little bit." Yeah. I wasn't even that close with them either. I would say I knew him for 3 or 4 months in in the comedy scene
0: you can't really blame yourself for that because if you, if they came out and said, Hey, um, I'm in a real dire position. Can you, you know, can you spend some time talking to me? You certainly would. Um, If they reach out and they say, Hey, you know, can we talk? And you don't really understand the severity, or maybe they aren't conveying the severity so that you will understand. You can't blame yourself for that. And it's, it's tough because it's always easy to look back And say, oh, if I would have known, or I wish they would have told me, but you can't control what they do. But I like the fact that you are there and that you're willing to be there because I kind of feel like these days people just think if I just post a number and ask 10 of my friends to repost it, I've done my job. I don't need to actually do anything because I made a post.
1: Yeah. It's like more um, insensitive, I guess. Like it's more not the word insensitive. It's like it's passive. Passive.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. It's a shame. I really hope that that more people start actually, you know, caring, especially right now, because people uh, with the isolation, I think a lot more people are probably going through depression. I read that the uh, domestic abuse uh, cases are up because of it. Um, So hopefully we'll we'll just all be there to support each other, because I think that's how we get through it. Having nice distractions like comedy online is always great or or to be able to drive and go to it that's interesting um do they space the cars out is there a distancing between the cars or are they allowed to just kind of park wherever
1: so i haven't gone to the drive up mic i've just been to a mic uh an open mic in a park in south pasadena oh okay That's like you just park you park and then we sit on bleachers and go up one at a time but we're wearing masks and not wearing masks on stage. There's a tiny stage in this park uh, that's, like, a, made of stone by the Girl Scouts or something of America. And you, we have, like, wipes for the mics. We have, like, Clorox wipes. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, people just do their time and wipe the mic and stuff in between.
0: It seems like it's a fairly respectful community for the most part. I mean, I'm sure there's people here and there that aren't... Um, very well accepted because of their behavior. But for the most part, it seems like comedians really do have kind of a camaraderie.
1: I would say they do. Um, Definitely. They're the type of people that I could talk about anything, but yet we're actually like really egotistical. Really? Oh yeah. I mean, if you have a joke about yourself or something that doesn't land, you do like internalize it and you kind of get hard on yourself. So you have to like, that's why I think it's important to eat healthy so you can, or healthy when you can, because it's, you got to separate the ego from like the joke you wrote about yourself and like, it didn't do well tonight. It doesn't mean it want to do well somewhere else. Yeah, and then, yeah, there's some definitely weirdos in the, in the scene that are not, they're not nice to anybody or women or black people or whatever. Um, that does... Happen. Yeah. And we, those people aren't necessarily booked or they're only, they're banned from places, but they're maybe accepted at like one out of 30 open mics or some, or shows or something.
0: Once word gets around about you being difficult, I think in any artistic community, um, there are always people that will follow you. But I think that it's a lot harder to find those opportunities because people just, you know, they don't want to deal with you. So if, if you're just a cool person and you, you know, you treat everyone well, you'll probably do a
1: lot better. Definitely, for sure.
0: Yeah. Well, that's just a general rule of life, really. Um, is it is it hard, though, when you're not in front, like when you're it right in front of the audience, you know, when they're right there? you can see their reactions, you can read them. When you're on this stage, is it harder because you don't really get to read them as well with the masks and everything else?
1: Um, Not for me, Uh, I think for some people it is. And there's some people that right now during COVID-19, they will not do Zoom shows at all. Or I think they do, like in my hometown of Phoenix, Arizona, I think there's still like comedy shows going on. not all the clubs but one club in particular and then there's some open mics still going on so I don't know like how they're doing it over there but uh, I have some friends that won't do Zoom shows because I think maybe they're worried about their stuff being recorded by the host because you can record on Zoom or like they just don't want to hear one giggle they want to hear a lot more laughter but I mean even at open mics they're all comedians so you're not you're getting laughter but it's like is it real you know it's not a paying audience so it's like are they laughing because they just like me as a person or are they laughing because this was actually good you never know really um but if you do a joke a bunch of times in different places and it still lands um and then you go to a big comedy club and do it and you get like a ton of laughter that's how you know that joke is good um but sometimes there's a joke that doesn't land anywhere at an open mic or wherever, but then you do it at like the improv and it gets like a ton of laughs. Cause they're real people. They're, they're not comedians the necessarily. I know you asked about masks. Um, I would say, yeah, again, it doesn't really bother me so much. Mm-hmm. Um, even though my ego does get hurt. I mean, it does get hurt, but I just want to perform. I want to try stuff out. Oh. So I'm willing to take the risk.
0: That's awesome. I mean, you have to. If if this is what you want to do, if this is your dream and
1: I know this like disease is not it may not go away for a year or two. So I'm like I'm yeah, I'm just like I'm going to try to do what I can just keep performing.
0: Yeah. I think there's you know, you're you're right. We don't know how long this is going to go on and here in Vegas, they've already closed one show permanently. Uh, LaRev over at the Wynn Hotel just closed a couple of weeks ago, and um, I'm waiting to see what else follows because, you know, those theaters cost money and um, it's it's a lot to maintain. So uh, I don't know how things are going to go. But I think that for people that are willing to find alternative ways to perform like Zoom or, you know, like the the drive up performances, I think it's great because we have to work with what we've got if you want to keep doing it. And of course, it's your passion. We've got to find ways around the issue.
1: Yeah. Um, I, I really don't know my friends who aren't performing. I don't know what they're doing. Um, maybe they're doing, there's some private like shows going on in backyards. I've done some of those in LA. Um, they're not really like for the public knowledge, but, um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe my friends who aren't, I don't like the friends I don't see performing maybe they're performing for like their parents, their girlfriend, their boyfriend. Mm -hmm. Um, actually comedians don't have girlfriends or boyfriends. So,
0: (laughs) Yeah. it, It seems like most, uh, most comedians I've listened to say, you know, this person I used to date seems to be more the thing than my current love interest.
1: Yeah. And it's always a surprise when you see a comedian getting married. Um, because maybe in their jokes, they talked like even famous ones, maybe they talked about past relationships and suddenly on Instagram, like maybe they released something on comedy central and it's about a past relationship. And that must be old material because like on their Instagram, suddenly they're married like a few days later. And I'm like, Oh, with somebody the whole time.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: But I kind of like, I really am like, I gotta mention this. Um, I'm not sure if I ever want to get married, but I'm definitely like into being single, but if a relationship popped up, I'd be up for it. Like if there's somebody, it's hard to find somebody that agrees with you on like a lot, of, like they don't have to agree on everything, but mm-hmm. ha- like maybe just having a relationship. It's hard to get someone who just wants to be in a relationship with you. Like maybe you're both honest and like, You communicate well, but it's hard to find someone who wants to be in a relationship with you. Yeah. So if you can't even agree on that, I mean, you got (laughs) to go. If
0: if you can't create at least the foundation together, there's really no building to build on that.
1: Yeah. um, So, I mean, I'm single most of the time and enjoying it. Um, But I mean, like Weird Al and a comedian named um, Maria Bamford, um, they got married Or sorry, not them. Sorry, they didn't get married to each other. That sounds. (laughs) You're like, wow, that's a combo. Um, No, but like they got married different to different people. But I think they got married to like yeah, like 45 or 50. I I'm butchering their ages. I I probably don't even know their ages. But I think they got married like later. You know, like just recently, like just recently in the past, like five or ten years or something, and it kind of gives me hope. Like if I did want to get married one day, maybe I could. Um, Cause there, I am like, you, I like, don't even compare me to Maria Bamford or weird Al. Like I'm not even as cool as them at all. Like I can, I play, I do parody songs sometimes not in public, but I mean, I'm not even like them. And like, I'm not even as like, Possibly even remotely as bipolar or weird as them, uh, but it just gives me hope that somebody loves them.
0: I think it's cool. I mean, I I am heading. I, I'm not as old as as Weird Al, so I'm almost fifty, and he's got to be at least fifteen years older than me.
1: Oh my! So no, is he in the sixties? Let me. I'm gonna look this. Up.
0: He's got to be. I would think. But I think, you know, I hear stories where people find love later in life, and I think it's great. I think that by then you really know who you are and and that person should really know who they are. And if you can find a compatibility between yourselves, I think that's probably going to last until, you know, you're both gone.
1: Hopefully. And yeah, maybe later in life, you know, the last few years of your life, you finally like find someone who wants to be with you. Let me look up. um, Hold on.
0: Yeah, I'm curious about this now.
1: He's been married longer. I'm so sorry. He's been married, I think, 19 years. Let's see. So, oh,
0: Okay, that's been a while. But still, he would have found them later in life.
1: 41. He may have gotten married in his 40s, yeah. Um, I mean, I feel like, so I think I could be wrong, but I feel like guys definitely have support in comedy. There are some that are single, for sure, but... I think a lot of them have a girlfriend or they're married or they're married about to get divorced, but they were married, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if women, I feel like there's a lot more single women comedians who are just single. Um, I think it's, I think it has to do with like, women just don't need anyone to be honest. Um, but, uh, I know no one wants to hear that, but it's it's just how it is. um <laughs> uh, so it kind of like just offends me that women are single for so long. I just feel like maybe we don't get support mm-hmm. or anything well, <laughs> so I, think,
0: I think it goes back to those old uh paradigms, you know, like the the man should be able to you know conquer women and a woman should only be conquered by one man you know those statistics in themselves don't even make any sense they're just not possible
1: oh, yeah yeah like, a guy would use a guy there was a girl I worked with um i I worked I worked in finance a lot of my life mm-hmm. like credit union or worked in for Wells Fargo or something in the home mortgage section where I just call asking for titles. I'll be like, I had a job where I just asked for titles. And I'm like, you got that title yet for the house? Or like, no. I'm like, okay, I'll check back in a week. Like that kind of stuff.
0: You're so aggressive.
1: I <laughs> know. I'm just like, is it ready yet? No, they're getting divorced and the wife doesn't want to let go of the house. It's going to be a while. I'm like, okay. I'll- <laughs> it's an old, it's an old T old T title, like weird title names and stuff. Like it's an old T and I'm like, i don't know that what you mean anyways i'll make a note Uh, i'll look up how to spell it in google and i'll make a note right um yeah there was so what you said reminded me of like these older guys using like bible verses from muhammad to like lure in 20 year olds Mm -hmm. there was a guy i worked with he's had 11 kids apparently wow uh, maybe that's, he follows the Bible, I guess, you know, that's why he's got 11 kids. Uh, maybe he has 11 girlfriends. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he would, he would just like come up to my friend who very, she's very similar to me. We're both goofy and stuff. Uh, but she's 20. And I think, you know, someone who's 20 year old, they're like, whoa! either you cannot have a conversation with that person. Cause they're too young or <laughs> like, you know, or it's a fascination thing because they're 20. Uh, but he would just like, she had a boyfriend. She'd been with somebody for at least five years. And he would just walk up to her and have her look up stuff on Wikipedia about Muhammad and like how he had, he was 60, but he had all these 20 year olds. And he did that. He would just try to like make advances on her like three times. This was like, we. this is like a temp job. And it was like, it was like we were there for like a month or two at this point point. he made like three weird advances towards her and I saw it and she didn't speak up but she's someone who would speak up it's weird she wouldn't speak up um and I think I've had maybe I had another job where somebody did something kind of like that they didn't reference the bible but just make it, made an advance of some kind and I'm like this is wrong um but the last advance he ever made at work, you know, while she's at her desk was this Wikipedia thing. And she, I just remember like talking to her. I called across the aisle. I'm like, Are you going to speak up about it, girl? Are you going to say something? And she's like, Um, like while he's at, while this guy is at the desk, I'm like, You going to speak up? And and she just was like, uh, and I'm like, can I do it for you? And she's like, Yes. And then she kind of showed me like after he left what he was saying. And I read I read some of the Wikipedia page. I'm like, oh my God. I'm gonna complain to the manager for you. Yeah. And then he he either left or he got fired. I don't know. But yeah, I just wanna say, I don't know what sparked this this tangent but, uh, <laughs> well,
0: <laughs> well we were talking about the paradigms of the of you know the old uh old testament type thinking of, oh okay, of yeah yeah so
1: your old testament thing was just like what that reminded me of like yeah guys just like making up guys making up shit to support their advances and then definitely had a lot of guys that have empty promises like one guy promised to take, to make me coffee and he never did and that's disappointing to that's me.
0: such a hard thing to do why would yep. you promise something that big
1: i know yeah i mean you can't even keep that promise like what else are you not able to keep
0: yeah you're you're not getting the ring that's for sure
1: oh yeah no this guy would not have given anyone a ring um not even a telephone ring just to you know
0: See, I don't get that. I I don't understand the idea of saying, "Hey, I'm interested in you. I want to win over your attention. So I'm gonna say I'm gonna do all this stuff, and then not do it, and then you'll like me."
1: Yeah, I've even had guy friends who I'm still friends with try to promise me stuff, and I'm I mean, I'm just like, "Oh, that's lovely," and then I just don't talk to them again. <laughs> I'm like, I know "You're not gonna keep the promises." Um, I mean, no. What I've learned is like, okay, so I used to. You know, I would say in like Seventeen Magazine or YM, I swear in my teens, I read, you have to like love yourself first and all that. Mm -hmm. Didn't know what it meant. And then I got, I've gotten like more spiritual as I've gotten older. Like I'm not religious, but I've gotten more like, definitely I'm a journal type person. Uh, I've been working on myself for like since my teens, like self-care was something I knew about immediately. I knew therapy is a good thing. I don't consistently see a therapist. I've seen one three times for like six weeks each time, but I think it's important to, obviously I'm a comedian. So I think it's important to like work through whatever you're feeling and then realize you're always going to feel that way. You can work through it for that day or that week, but it's going to come back. (laughs) Um, Yeah. But maybe when it comes back, you can handle it better. Like it never, your feelings never go away. Uh, no matter how much you stuff them down or work on them, there's always like something that triggers something forever until you die. That's what I found out. But, um, I was thinking like, Oh, if I, I've had like one or two boyfriends that kind of meant something to me, uh, in my life. One was like an almost three year relationship. And that one was like really hard to get over. Uh, cause he, he did cheat. Um, I think I had definitely had a part in that because we weren't like having sex, you know, like we couldn't like uh, there's a reason that we couldn't have sex. But uh, uh, so, I mean, I don't know if he would have cheated just on anyone or if that was the factor. But see, even that
0: I I can't understand the mentality of that because.
1: Break up, right? Just break up. Yeah. Yeah. sexually not working out, we got to let each
0: other go. Right. Like I don't, that's why I don't understand affairs. Like I get, I understand people growing in different directions or, you know, somebody changing and maybe I don't like the person that they've become. They're not the person I started dating. I understand all that. But what I don't understand is I'm committed to you, but I'm also going to be committed to something else, which means I'm not really committed to you, even though I just said I was like, oh. just, just leave me and go do your thing.
1: Well, that's a thing now is like polyamory is a thing. So people can be in love with multiple people. Um, So that is a thing. And I think like if someone's going to cheat, I think like this guy who cheated on me, he probably at that phase in his life in his mid twenties or yeah, he was like in his mid, mid later half of his twenties. I think that if he knew about polyamory, probably would have done it. Like I think that's something he should have looked into, but I don't know if it was a thing in like 2008, you know. I mean, I'm sure it was a thing, but I don't know if it, if it was like talked about.
0: I don't know, it just sounds like an excuse to me to get away with not, you know, breaking a commitment to someone.
1: Well, cheating is. Yeah, like if you if if you're actually a monogamous person and you don't want to break that, eh, they they I think like if your needs aren't being met, they think cheating's a viable thing. When I'm just like, you should just be polyamorous, I guess. But the, with the polyamory thing, I've looked into that um, too. I'm not into like, I'm pretty much not into anything. I just like being single. <laughs> just for the record, <laughs> right? Yeah, I can barely handle myself and keeping track of myself.
0: But if you get burned enough times, you stop putting your hand into the fire.
1: Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I mean, I just got burned once, and I'm like, I'm done. Yeah. Um,
0: I stopped eating baker's chocolate after like three or four times, hoping that maybe that one I had was just made wrong. But eventually I stopped eating it.
1: Baker's chocolate? That's the worst chocolate. That's exactly like, like there's no sweetener in that stuff. That's just for like <laughs> baking. Yeah. Or you I mean, I've eaten that stuff. I've eaten this were you eaten the semi-sweet or the bittersweet?
0: No, this was just baker's chocolate. It was no sugar, just literally
1: what are you doing? I mean, okay, you're taking low sugar to like the no sugar.
0: (laughs) Right. I'm going to say I was, I was really young a couple of weeks ago. (laughs) But I think too, you know, especially when you're talking about a guy in his mid twenties, and of course we all know that men mature much more slowly than women. And I say this as a general statement because there are always exceptions, but it's, it's gotta be harder as a woman to find a young, attractive man who has that, responsibility and intellectual growth that you could be compatible with?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. My standards are not high and it's still hard to find. Um, cause I, <laughs> I have to be attracted to him. I'm visual. I have to be attracted to him. Sure. Gotta not say stupid things. He's gotta actually like, we can hold a conversation mm-hmm. and, um, he's gotta be like, we gotta be open to each other and honest communication and have fun. And that's it. And that seems like a lot.
0: But <laughs> it doesn't sound like a lot, but to actually put that into reality, it sadly is.
1: It's a lot to actually, yeah. To make it happen. It's a lot. Yeah. It's like, there's one thing, like you could have all that, but one thing you don't agree on and that, that breaks it up.
0: I like though that you're, you're confident enough in being alone that you're okay with your own company but yeah. that you're also, like, open to, well, if something came around, I would be willing to check it out. I think that's, like, the healthiest way you can be.
1: Yeah, but that makes, I mean, honestly, when I'm single, it's for, like, 10 years at a time. So, uh, I really date. I try to, but it's just, like, I get, again, I get uh, anxiety with one-on-one. Mm. Like, this is a hangout. This is a date. I get so much anxiety that I'm trying to hide and stuff. So, that's, and then... Like I tried dating apps and that makes me want to be alone even more. So <laughs> I get, I I'm on those off of those. And I'm just like, is there, I mean, it's a lot, I think we're in a hookup culture. Like I know people who have had kids, they've been with a girl for, or a guy or a girl for 10 years and now they're just into hookups. And those are my friends. I write comedy with, I don't <laughs> want to date. Them or anything. Right. It's nice. It's, it's uh, good to hear like why they're into hookups. You know, like, okay, I'm not into that, but good for you. And I understand why you just don't... A lot of times it's like people aren't ready for that in their life. They're in a phase where it's like, this isn't a good time to be in a relationship. And that's how I feel about myself. I feel like it's never a good time. Mm-hmm. I'm always in a phase where it's not a good time to be in a relationship. But, and I think some guys guys can agree maybe women can agree you may not be ready to be in a relationship or be monogamous or be in a polyamorous whatever or whatever sort of relationship you may not be ready for it but then like there's a person that comes around five five or ten years later and then you're like or even like It's like, I'm not ready until, oh, this person's come around. Well, maybe I'll, maybe I'll do it. Maybe I'll see if it works out. Like you said, like, see, like I said, (laughs) like, oh, I'm willing to try this person. Like they're attractive. They seem, we talk and it seems to be going well. And I like being with them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let's try it out. But then like something is said or something and it just like, oh, this is not going to work out.
0: But I see what you're saying. I think that's the thing is that like I have uh, no desire to have a family of my own or anything like that. And I could say that with complete confidence. But if I were to have someone come into my life for some reason and just there was just a chemistry there, I can't say that I would just say, no, you know what? I've already committed to not ever being with anybody. So sorry, you're too late. I mean, you if if there's a feeling there, you kind of have to explore it.
1: Yeah, my, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, geez, we're all just running on our feelings cause I can't force myself to like somebody that I, I don't feel attracted to right? in some way. So that's, which is everyone. I'm not attracted to anyone. That's everybody. I'm yeah. not going to be attracted to anybody. <laughs> There's like zero point zero 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 one three percent of people I'm going to be attracted to. Um, but, uh, I was going to say something. Dang. Um, Oh, yeah, I just think it's, like, my, well, okay, so, like, my second or third, my I guess my third, technically, boyfriend in my life um, said, was always about, like, compromise, he, like, said that a lot, and not being passive-aggressive, which he was both, he would tell me not to be passive-aggressive, and, yeah, we need to compromise, but he was, like, not good at it himself, like, he was doing... I think I think he mentioned it because he's probably I don't want to make excuses for people but I'm, he was just working on that side of himself He would tell me not to be passive aggressive because I think we mentioned things that we're working on ourselves you know we like we accuse people of things like if I if like if Scott if you were on the tonight show or something I'd be like, Ugh, Scott's on the t-, and I didn't know you or I kind of knew you but I was jealous of you I'm like Ugh, what is he doing on there like Ugh, I hate that he's on there it's like really because I want to be on there just so you know right. Like we say, we say gossiping shit about people and judge them because we want what they have. So I've noticed that. I mean, just look at our president. He says stuff that obviously he is jealous of. And like he's jealous, he's fumingly jealous of Obama because Obama, Obama probably just didn't care about being cool. He was just all about the people and Trump cannot, if Trump was just, sorry, this is politics, but if Trump was just about the people, I think it would fix a lot of things.
0: Well, yeah, that's that's a whole uh, a whole nother conversation, because that's, I mean, really what the president is supposed to be. But um, do you think with this guy, do you think it was a bit of narcissism or do you think it was just like he was forced to see things about himself that he knew he should change, but maybe wasn't sure how or wasn't ready to?
1: No, he's he's a he's a he's a good person. He's a comedian, too, actually. So he's Mm -hmm. he's, um, I have nothing against him. No feelings either. So, I mean, I, I kind of, we were like functional together. Uh, we were like definitely could work together well, but uh, I wasn't like falling in love with him necessarily. So, I mean, it's okay. Uh, but no, he's not a terrible person or anything. Well, that's good. Uh, but no, what, so what I, I went off on a tangent, but that's what okay. I wanted to say was yeah, it better be okay. Um, this is a <laughs> podcast and that's right? what it's all. Out. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Okay. So he mentioned compromise and now I'm like, okay, I don't want to be in relationship pretty much ever. I don't want to be in any sort of relationship. I just love having friends. I love attention through friends or through things I post and then I can go be alone. I love that. Um, and go, I love being alone with my thoughts and stuff because um, I'm constantly working on myself since my teens but if someone comes around who is all those things i said earlier um i might be willing to compromise so the compromise part is like things are going well like you meet someone it's going well but there's this one thing you won't compromise on and that could be anything it could be money it could be the structure of the relationship it could be religion Cause there's so many people who are like different religions that get together. Cause someone was willing to compromise or, um, I really feel like both people need to compromise though, somewhere in the middle. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like if I'm just compromising for somebody and they're not like, that would bother me to no end. I'm like, I compromise for you on this one thing that is against what I would normally do. And you're not also compromising like that shit bothers me. If only one person's compromising,
0: Yeah. Oh, totally. That's that's not fair at all.
1: That shit bothers the shit out of me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's like, I think if you're not willing to compromise, that's probably what breaks the relationship that's going well. Yeah, it's kind of
0: compromise, but have that backbone too. like know when to pick your not battles, but know when to stand your ground because something is important to you. Like I get bending to make the relationship work. But if you have to change who you are, to make that person happy, then then that really comes more down to a compatibility issue.
1: And I mean, sometimes I'm like, if I don't want to compromise on something, I'll think about their side. I'm like, how can they compromise on this? Like, what? Like, if I had worked out, what could they do to compromise on it?
0: Right. Oh, that's a good thing.
1: But uh, sometimes I I don't know. I I don't know what they would decide. It's not like it's going to say, it's not like I can get them back or anything. It's just- like, what could they have compromised? That's kind of a tough thing to compromise on. What could they have done? But I like that you're
0: wanting to look through their eyes because I think that's a big thing that we've lost in society is that people just want to get their own point across and not really hear the other
1: side of things. Yeah, my mom is like a Virgo. I don't mean to bring signs into this. That's okay. But also I do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she's, she's Her birthday's tomorrow is why I'm saying that. Happy birthday tomorrow. Yeah. Happy birthday to Dixie Walterscheid, my mom. Yes. Um, it'll
0: actually be, let's see, that's Monday. So it'll be two days ago when this airs, but yes. Happy birthday two days ago.
1: Okay. But I got her like Girl Scout cookies in LA and Ooh. I had a friend, I was going to drive to visit that my family in Phoenix in August, but I didn't get around to it. Cause there's like several birthdays in August, my nephews and my dad's and and then for my dad, I got him socks with his face on it. So that's interesting.
0: <laughs> like they sewed his face into the socks.
1: That's a printing. So it's oh, face okay. socks.com. You can get your, yeah, you can get your face or your dog's face or your baby's face or the face of like John Hamm put into some socks. Wow. <laughs> I think that would be it's so fun. weird
0: to know that there's people running around with like my podcast logo on their socks.
1: Oh yeah, that would be cool if you did
0: that. I would highly suggest it though.
1: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you have a stalker who just like comes up to you. I'm a fan of your show, man. He like pulls up his pant, like look. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I would, I would enjoy a conversation with him until the police arrived.
1: Yeah, you're like, I'm gonna call the police. Um, I know you're gonna kill me, but yeah. yeah, let's talk.
0: But keep keep listening to the show. I hope you can get yeah, it in yeah. prison. You know,
1: yeah oh my god i know (laughs) what level what level of fandom is okay i mean (laughs) mean, comic-con is comic-con is full of stalkers if you think about it i've been to a few comic-cons where i was i was on a panel at comic-con anyways i've gone off on a tangent so
0: panel were you on at comic-con
1: it was phoenix comic-con which they can't use that name anymore right Uh, yeah uh, a lot of Comic-Cons probably can't use the name they were using anymore. Uh, I don't know. Yeah,
0: they call it, what, Fan Fusion now, I think.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah oh, you know about that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I was just in some... Oh, my friend had a... I was on a comedian panel. I've had some film shown there where I bought a ticket for Comic-Con in the years past, and I didn't go to Comic-Con, but I was like, well, I'm on this show. I'm on... The, my, my film's being shown. I have to buy a ticket, right? And it turns out it was across the street at, like, the hotel, and I didn't have to buy a ticket. And I was like, damn, okay, yeah, but uh, the recent Comic-Con I did, there was a fire alarm at it at the second panel, but the first panel I did was, um, I think it was just like a com- comedians playing games. We were playing some sort of like games that were on TV or something.
0: Oh, that sounds like fun.
1: Yeah, it was really fun.
0: I did a panel there in uh, 2014, okay. and it was on uh, music and sound in movies and film, or movies and television. And, um, they said that I was going to be part of a panel. And when I got there, it was just me.
1: Shit. That's nerve wracking.
0: Yeah. It threw me off for a minute. I, I did drink a lot of water, I think during that because my throat kept drying up and, uh, but I think it went pretty well. It was, it was a full room too, which was nice, but I was prepared to, you know, just interject and answer some questions. I didn't realize I had to give a whole speech, you know, fortunately I was prepared uh, because i had given that talk before but it was uh it was a little unnerving
1: yeah are you better at one-on-one stuff or do you like you don't like crowds
0: i don't mind them if they aren't looking at me
1: okay oh that's why like we're on zoom and I, i'm like should i turn my camera on and you're like no i'm like okay cool <laughs> no that <laughs> it
0: had nothing to do with you
1: yeah yeah i know
0: I think this is a pretty good place to cut it for the, uh, for the first half here. And I want to thank you guys for listening. Hopefully that this podcast has started to kind of make you think a little bit, make you calm down, maybe back off of the, the anger and the hatred and the aggression, if that's how you're feeling and, you know, let's work together and we're going to have the second part of that interview coming up in a couple of weeks and as always thank you guys for listening please send me your thoughts to scott at scotthaskin.com check out episode number 72 of the deep purple podcast the deep purple game show god i had so much fun uh, with those guys on that show and uh my other opponent allegra who has a wonderful site of her own that you should check out and i'll put that link in the show notes thank you guys again we'll see you next week for another episode of the haskin cast podcast be safe be kind to each other cheers